Come on down, people. Join the gluten gang. It's time to carbo load. Welcome to hold my bread. It was a rough day. The Dow took its biggest loss in two years, but we at Hold My Bread are still the $1,165 podcast. Pretty good with just your walking around money. We're up over time, but that's okay. Our buddy Matt Backus, he is out there getting famous. If you're in Austin, Texas, go see him this week. He's got all sorts of shows. And joining me, we have another Wall Street Insider. Wall Street Insider, we're going to start. Um, how are you? Anonymous? I'm good. I'm anonymous. You're anonymous. So when we, when we have guests on in the past, we've given them a pseudonym. Would you like to pick a name to go by for the course of this hour? I don't have a lot of good ideas for this. Okay, so we're going to go with Rex Thunder. You do strike me as a Rex Thunder. Okay. Okay, so Rex, Rex Thunder, you've been working, you, you, just to like general housekeeping, today was a pretty dire day in the mm-hmm. stock market. We are all well aware of it. Of course, uh, Warren Buffett has traded in his flip phone for an iPhone. Are you shocked by that? I didn't know that. Yeah, he appeared on, in the midst of, okay, first of all, there was like a total Dow Jones meltdown today, mm-hmm. down a thousand points, the most in two years. But in the midst of this, like Warren Buffett went on a lot of the financial television shows, showed off his iPhone, talks about how great of a, of a stock Apple is. And that was my big takeaway from today's proceedings. Makes up for the 300 million Chinese who did not buy them. 100 percent apparently yeah what, what what are you referencing there i don't this virus going around oh this virus the coronavirus yeah. and the, yeah i mean the dow's down a thousand points a lot of people are saying that's coronavirus now it is so in south korea italy italy and it's it, loose yeah but you know rex a lot of people they speculate do you think it has anything to do with bernie sanders winning the caucus in nevada it could yeah, I'm sure, you know, he's, I'm not following politics too closely or the markets. Oh, okay. Well, secret, secret. All um, you need to know is, yeah, I think he is the, he's probably the most negative for the market of the Democrats. So absolutely. Yeah. Before we get into it, like if I have like just a little bit of money that I'm like hinging my life on, do I want to take it out immediately if Bernie wins the nomination? I don't think so. You you keep it in, you I, ride it out. I think I think it at your age and yeah, you want to think long term. Yeah, for listeners, I am 24 years old. I'm looking good. I still have rigid six-pack abs and a full head of luxurious brown blonde hair. So I'm looking good. So Bernie, don't overreact to that. So, and do I need to worry about this Dow today? Like I, I looked at it, like I kind of, you're not supposed to check like your robo advisor, like rule one of like something like Wealthfront is never log in, right? Not quite never, but yeah, you're not supposed to be checking it every day and, and worrying about it. Like I, you know, I, I went out, I had two shows last night. Thank you to, I did have a fan of the podcast come out to the stand. That was really fun. Great to meet you, Luke. Um, but, but I, 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 we went out afterwards, me and my beautiful fiance. So I wake up at like 10 o'clock this morning. I check my wealth front and like in the course of an hour, I lost like $3,500. It's hard not to, but you know, you're not going to take money out, especially one like that. You can't, 
You actually can. I have I have wealth run, and I did override my risk score a couple months ago. How do you override your risk score? You, like you have to go on the the computer. Whoa! You can't even do it on the app. They won't let you. So you you took it to eleven. You pulled the spinal I tap. I took it to um, I want to say seven point five. Okay, I'm I'm a nine I'm risk. A, I was a ten for a long time, and I'm I'm just. I, I, know, I give better advice than I do myself. I've been on the sidelines of these markets for, I don't even know, five years, uh, missing out on the party. So when I say leave it in, if Bernie or the virus, any of this, I probably am already way out myself and terrified. Yeah, because if you look at like the charts for over the over the time of like the 1929 2008 like if you were to keep your stocks in the market like wouldn't you have just like recouped all your losses yeah i was just looking on the uh the lift ride over here from my orchestra um 350 from the 2008 low the s p is up right now so four times over you've recouped and you know a lot of people left the market and stayed out and they missed out on a lot of that yeah and the thing to do to be prudent is to not panic like the entire system is to de- designed to just like steadily grow over time and why does it exist is it to beat inflation or why does yeah like how why does, does the stock market exist? yeah why does the <laughs> stock market exist how do, I, that's I, a good question it had to begin some to, at some point in time, and there had to be some rationalization. Yeah, to provide capital and liquidity to markets, to the to the economic system, to well, allow for entrepreneurship and innovation and the investment into ideas. Yeah, and it, it, I know it's fell down today. Do you think it's kind of a reaction at all to like, oh, we're going to talk a little bit later, but like a stock like Tesla, a stock like SpaceX, like all these stocks that are like, they're skyrocketing in value, pun intended, of course, and they, they're they losing so much money. Yeah, future hope. Yeah, but future hope, like, it's going to take SpaceX like 40 years to get into the red. Yeah, and I, I can't, uh, I don't know, I can't explain it. Yeah, it's, well, it's you pay $200,000, you go up to space with five strangers, you feel G-forces, and like that's the hottest stock on the market like if that's the parameters the stock market as a whole should be punished i don't know so um let, let, let's get into you will you tell us without incriminating you i think you're gonna be fine we're not gonna get you in any trouble and we got like about 500 listeners hello luke but i don't i don't think any of them will write you out if you're listening to this and our guest rex thunder if he says anything incriminating don't rat him out. So tell These us are all the personal opinions of Rex Thunder. Yeah, all the part per- of the company I may or may not work for. Yeah, there's certainly not a name on a vest, and you can't <laughs> see Rex, but he came dressed to a T. He's got the Patagonia vest. He's got the name embroidered on the other other breast, and it's of course worn over like a pretty nice dress shirt, impeccably rolled I, up sleeves. I, did, I listened in preparation to the. What is it, Moneybags Riley episode? And you you talked a lot about the Patagonia vest, the retreats. I know. The Midtown uniform. I had to, I I told you before we went on air, this vest has never left the office because I'm embarrassed to wear it outside. But for this occasion, here it is. I appreciate that. Which means it might get washed for the first time once I get home. We'll see. 
I, congratulations. That's a, that's a big, big milestone for any article of clothing. Unfortunately, we can't have Moneybags Riley on anymore. She left the Wall Street, the, the investment industry. Oh. She went private sector. We tried to convince her, but I guess their bonus structure at her new employer was better than ours. Hmm. She went to IBM, and IBM, I think they're committing you know, fraud. That's, that's the... There's a, there's a reason I can wear stuff like this to work is... The tech sector is taking so many MBA kids and smart kids and engineers that finance isn't it anymore. They have to compete somehow. And do you guys have to kind of keep up with the tech sector? Like, do you? Have, I mean, they try, but they, you you can't. Do you have a ping pong table at your office? Yes. Okay. Office Pantheon rankings. Or no. Depending on who's uh, yeah, listening. Yeah, there might be only one firm with a ping pong table. I had a nine to five and I left my nine to five job because the CEO the CEO was visiting and they threw out the ping pong table on just the chance the CEO would look at it. William Sonoma, short that stock. We don't like it. We we vote with our dollars here at Hold My Bread. So when you go to your anonymous office that may or may not have a ping pong table, what exactly do you do? So I suppose that a couple, I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I, I listened to a good bit of the, the Vanguard one as well. Um, and, and your guest talked a lot about don't try to beat the market because nobody does. And I suppose I have the luxury of being someone who has to find the people who do. Um, so the the group I'm in and the, the broader investment team I work on, um, I suppose the easiest way to put it is is we're kind of like financial advisors that uh, an individual might see, but at a much larger scale for large institutions or for even financial advisors themselves in a lot of ways. So in there, a lot of what they do is building their business and sales, not a lot of research and following the markets and researching into the products they're using. So that's where a group like us can come in and do that for them. And, you know, I think when we're making investments, a lot of times it's on the tens to hundreds of millions or, or billions scale. So there's some scale behind it to have a team whose job is to basically look for those diamonds in the rough that can beat these markets and ETFs and passive vehicles. Okay. So like ETFs and mutual funds, are they your like competition or is that something you ingratiate into your own research? Um, it's, it's both. So I guess. So when you look for like something that's beating the market, is that, do you see someone who has a certain methodology? Do you look for an ETF that's outperforming like larger indexes? What does that search look like? I think we'd, we wouldn't look a lot for ETFs that outperform. The concept of ETFs outperforming an index is a, a bit newer. Um, the, the vast majority of ETFs and the history of ETFs is actually to track an index. So they, you know, the, I think you have something in your, your notes there about Vanguard something. So that, that, that fund, you know, they'll typically have a name in the ETF that is the index they're trying to replicate. So they're not going to outperform or beat that index by nature of charging fees, though small. There are more and more in recent years ETFs that either try to employ some more intelligent design, where you may have heard the term smart beta, um, and then more recently even actually truly active ETFs that are not all that different from a mutual fund in that way. 
Well, really, on this podcast, the smart beta is my absent co-host, Matt Backus. I am the alpha in this realm, 100%. I tried to teach Matt how to work out a few months ago. It didn't work out that well. But yeah, essentially, the role of what people in my field do is look for those active managers with maybe a methodology, as you said, maybe just a skill, uh, maybe a, a process and a firm behind them providing resources that allows them some kind of edge. You know, there's many different ways it can be done. So you're looking for people. You're looking for people who just have a different method, different approach. And when, once you narrow that down and you pinpoint these individuals, is the goal to hire them aboard your operation or no, take their methods? It's to neither. It is to give them money on um on our behalf. Okay. So yeah. you guys outsource a little bit of your trading to different. So, so if you went to, well, a, a financial advisor or wealth front for that matter, and you give them a million dollars, they're going to put, they're going to allocate it across a bunch of funds and ETFs, or if it's an advisor, maybe some stocks. We're essentially doing the same thing all in one big portfolio for a large client. Okay. So let's say I come up with an investment strategy that's very successful, wouldn't be surprising given my acumen mm-hmm. on this show. And we'll, we'll just use for, for this example, I do my IPO index by every IPO when it comes out. I sell right before the lock, lock is just reset so everyone can buy, sell their stuff and then I rebuy a couple days later. And I'm doing, I'm doing great, my yield is wonderful, I'm beating the S&P, how do I, how does my, how do you guys find my records? Is that something people sh- pitch to you, or do you just do you search? Both, a lot of both. Um, assuming you have become a registered investment fund or a registered investment product, then you might be in a public database. You might have a website. I mean, any number of ways. But most likely, you know, any any active regulated mutual fund that you could look up on Google or whatever website is is public and prices every day and you know we have again by nature of doing it professionally we have systems and tools that we can use to find them and screen them but i get a lot of every week yeah uh, you, you sales get sales people from every firm under the sun asking if we're interested in their products and and is it can do you does your company have those branches too or are yeah. you guys just all selling to each other individually so it's just like we, um, so depending on what our clients want for my group, we can do it entirely at the company with the ingredients we have there, or we can do it with competitors and you know, we are pretty open to do whatever's needed. Okay. And, and how did, how does, how do you, your company make money off passing the money to another investor whose methods you like? So the, the general idea is that you're paying us for the skill of identifying and having access to those individual managers or knowing when to be in the right place. So, you know, asset allocation, should, should you be in equities or bonds? Should you be in the U.S. or Japan? Should you be in cash under a mattress that we don't, you know, you don't really get paid for that, but those are the decisions that we're essentially being paid to make on top of the fees that would be going to those underlying managers. 
And, the, and yeah, the one thing like kind of just like going along this stuff, like my robo advisor Wealthfront, their fees are pretty low. I don't yep. understand how a company like Wealthfront makes any money. Uh, volume. Volume. So they're getting like two dollars so off them. Twenty five basis points. Okay, a basis point. You were excited about talking beeps. Talk of beeps. Yeah. You're very beeps. the beeps. first thing you brought up when I pitched yeah. the episode. You want to talk beeps? You want to talk about the accents of beeps? So a basis point. We'll get into that. What is that? So I always have to do the math. My hundred basis points is one percent. So twenty five basis points that Wealthfront charges. I think above, like I think the first twenty thousand they do for free, and then I think above that is twenty five basis points. So a quarter of 1%. So if you have $1,000 with them, that's 250, I believe. Two so fi- not, not a lot. 250 a month or 250 uh, annually? A year. Okay, not bad. In Wealthfront, do you do, you do the referral program? To I get have a l- done a f- couple of them, yeah. So I think my limit's like 30,000 free maybe. Okay, yeah, I think I'm the same way. I need yeah. more, all my friends are too poor. Like they <laughs> listen to the pod, but like <laughs> they're hopeless. They could maybe buy yeah. one stock. That's about it. Yeah. So their their business is to you know everything they do is automated. Everything they invest in is, I think, still passive. Um, so ETFs, um, very cheap. So you know you're similarly to what I described, just at a very smaller scale. Wealthfront is charging you a quarter of one percent, and you're also paying anywhere from two to probably 50 basis points out of those underlying fee underlying funds that you're exposed to. Okay. So they get a piece of pie and do they slowly compile that into their own portfolio or do they just keep that as profits? I don't know what they do with, with it, but yeah, I mean, the idea is if you, you know, the the idea of a, a robo advisor or Wealthfront is that because of how automated it is, Theoretically, to, for them to manage $1 million is the same as if they manage a billion in terms of expenses. I'm sure there's incremental server space and whatever else those companies need, but they don't need to hire more people to to manage and to think and to follow markets because it's all automated. So they just need to grow in terms of how much they manage and then you know they're going to keep their revenues are going to grow linearly with that. Yeah, Wealthfront, you try and tell, like I tried to tell them like when Beyond was going public, I was like, I really like this stock. So I got someone on the phone over there and they're like, this is not what we do at all. Of course, I was afraid to buy the stock. And then like every decision I've made has been bad since then. Like I don't, I, I had some bad, I know you guys talk penny stocks. I had some bad, I've got some funny stories with penny stocks from years ago and um, penny stock twitter is like my favorite place to spend time online yeah i stay away from it but oh. there are you know there are actually just quickly on robos like schwab has one that's free actually completely free um they sort of get you by allocating a, a more than you need to cash which they can then use in their bank and do whatever they want with it it doesn't hurt you other than you're not as exposed to markets as you could be um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of others out there now too. Yeah, but Schwab, I have like a 401k with them just because I haven't figured out a way to not hurt myself and pull out that 401k. Like you'll ha- you'll pay taxes on it. You can't really like transfer that to Wealthfront, can you? You might be able to. I think if if I, if if it's a 401k and you leave your job, you're allowed to roll it over into like an IRA or something. 
I think you could probably do that in Wealthfront. Even if it's over like a IRA max contributions? I don't know. That's Yeah, see, that's it, it's tough because it's, it's over yeah. 5,500. You, you can only do that with a Roth. I think a rollover you can. Okay, rollover yeah. you can surpass it even if I... Because that's just taking it from one qualified retirement account and putting it into another. See, because I try and like be shrewd and like do a good job with my finances, but I really just haven't made this decision because I forgot the Schwab password. <laughs> so it's just been there it's for hard three these years. Days. There's so many passwords. There's so many passwords, and like honestly, you have to change your passwords so oh, yeah. often. I am I am running out of NBA players I resonate with, so I have to re- retire all these passwords. When Dirk retired, I couldn't use him anymore. So Can you still use Andre Drummond, or is that is no, no, just no, no go now? Poor Andre Drummond. Oh, I can't even think about him without feeling sad. That was my one of the pseudonyms I was thinking of was the little ticket. <laughs> you, know, you can maybe guess who my favorite athlete is. I don't know. Did he star in a Adam Sandler film? He did, which I still haven't seen. You haven't seen that? No. Oh wow! Well, it's still in theaters, and it's yeah. like a good. I heard theater. he is good in it, which. He's really shocks good. me because he was he looked completely on the spectrum in that his TNT show. He was so uncomfortable in front of the camera. Yeah, but the Safdie brothers. I don't know if you've seen their other movies. Good time. They did a no. great Lenny Cook documentary about this like kind of local kid who washed out horribly. But it's all about intensity. Hmm. So you feel like a physical stress on it, and like that's natural for him. Yeah, and I've definitely like over bet a few football games, uh, specifically uh, Patriots at Bengals this year, which was a winner. But, you know, watching Uncut Gems was very reminiscent to that experience. I need to I need to do it soon. So you're you're like a finance person. Do you like playing with money in your spare time? What does playing with money mean? I mean, do you gamble? Do you yeah. like going in on certain individual stocks? No, not I, a little. You know, you asked about Tesla. I I had it. I got it. I bought it in during the oil crisis. This this is the level of, you know, I'm you, you've, you've had questions on this before. Like, do you love it or do you, is it just a job like this? This is for the most part is a job or maybe I love it, depending on who's listening. Um, <laughs> Well, they don't know who they are. I yeah, mean, I, like Rex Thunder. Who I knows? Don't, I, I mean, you know, if I'm at the office for eight, nine, ten hours a day, when I go home, I don't want to research stocks and spend my weekends doing that. Um, and so, it, oh, go, God, I didn't mean to cut you well, off. So I, I, I bought Tesla in like 2016, 2015, 16. The oil crash. Tesla was was crashing off with it. I, I don't remember, you know, other than being like, oh, well. Tesla's like not oil. So there was a, there was some people who thought because oil was getting so cheap, gas is going to be cheap, electric cars, who's going to need them, which seemed like a very short term. Okay. This is, this is silly. Like these Teslas and, and this environmental theme is a long term thing. Um, I don't think that's actually why it was selling off, but it, it was enough of a 10 second research story for me to buy into and, and invest. And it, it, rebounded. I mean, I sold it maybe a year ago and I made money on it, but I think I left multiple tens of thousands on the table <laughs> yeah, versus yeah. where it went like a couple of weeks ago. So, and it's still going. I those mean, are not my stock stories ago. So I just don't, I just avoid it. I mean, I, I use ETFs. I have some funds. I, I'm pretty boring with how I invest, but sure. Gambling on occasion is fun. Yeah. What, what's your game? Usually blackjack. Blackjack's so hard, man. 
Yeah. I find, I mean, kind of like my investing, if I'm pretty conservative, I tend to tend to do well. Yeah. Yeah. I've been going down to Atlantic city comedy club, which is connected to wild west casino and they have $5 blackjack there. So then I'll just play $5 hands all night. The dealer will be so annoyed at me, but yeah, we, so I have a couple, we didn't do it this winter, but the two previous, some friends we would go down during, you know, divisional weekend or championship weekend football playoffs. And last year was the first year that gambling, you know, they had these little makeshift sports books there. And, you know, we've, we've chatted NFL bets. I'm usually, I usually like 40, 50%, I guess. I think I put in nine sports bets there and lost them all. Yeah, that, um, this, that's the Atlantic City curse. Like, yeah. I went down there with my fiance and her dad, and they they love playing craps. Like, you can't get them away from the craps table. So, my buddy, he's in. I probably I don't I think this is bad information, but he's an ESPN college basketball announcer. And I was like, hey, who do I take in college basketball? So he gave me like nine picks. I put fifty dollars on everyone. Oh, and nine. Brutal. I think this this was the the Pats Chiefs game where I think all four of us had the under and they scored like 58 combined points in the fourth quarter or something like that. Yeah. Went over, yeah. So that, but I made, I made like, you know, a buddy and I were up till 4am playing blackjack and I think made like 5,000 there. Oh, wow. So the, you the, are the balling 700 out. I lost on gambling and NFL. I made it all back over many hours of consistent. Yeah. Playing. But you don't, you think, Karmically, you you deserve to win that bet you had. You and all your buddies get together and bet the under on an NFL playoff game. That's no way to live. I'm a big under guy. I don't oh, know why. No way. Maybe I'm, it's because I have a I'm a fan of a defense team. Maybe, yeah, allegedly. But, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of salary cap ramifications hitting in Minnesota. It's an aging core. I think this was the year. I think you're actually probably the best team in the NFC, and just kind of chemistry that got one was weird. A big giveaway, but that's okay. No, no. I think <laughs> I think you're good. There's a lot of wonderful Vikings fans out there. This is actually the tech guy at the Greek in the Cave. Um, yeah, so you talk about making a trade. So you're making these giant trades. They're tens of millions of dollars, but it's a volatile market. How do you do the trades effectively, but quick, quickly? Well, we are investing in the funds. So they, that's not really, you know, they price one today. So if you put money in today, you get it tomorrow kind of thing. Oh, um, shit. I, d- I didn't know that. Yeah. Funds no, only price I, once a day? Yeah, mutual funds, yeah. They, they strike and it's called a NAV, so net asset value. Every At the end of every day, it's what are all the assets in that fund worth? And that's what the mutual fund's worth. And on, a mu- mutual fund, on average, like how how many assets are in a certain one? Oh, God. they. I mean, the biggest these days are, you know, if you total up mo- the different places they might be sold in the U.S. and Europe and, you know, the different different legal areas the biggest ones are pushing 200 billion and how many like stock individual stocks are in in a mutual fund i mean you can have um again there's so many different ways you can have some that are really 15 to 30 and you call those concentrated you know they might look nothing like an index or you can have some that are in the hundreds that are very you know trying to do very small lots of trades, singles and doubles kind of thing. 
So how do how would you create a mutual fund? Let's say, for example, there's two stocks that I love right now. Personally, I love Twitter. It's an election year. People are going to follow this election on that. I think it's the only social networking thing with you with utility. And I like Ameren, which is their new heart attack product is doing well. They've got four to eight hundred sales reps hired. And I think that'll have like a high correlation with prescriptions filled. If I wanted to bind these two together, like, can I make a mutual fund f- to just invest in these two? I don't think so. I don't. I don't know the legal requirements, but I do believe there are some diversification requirements where a two-stock portfolio might not meet. <laughs> yeah, I can't. But I'm not positive. I can't have the Joel Lakowski mutual it, it fund. Would be, so another thing that would be a little difficult is an investor or someone like me might see that and say, well, we could just buy those two stocks. <laughs> yes, so. you could, but you couldn't get it. What about a... The precise timing of the trades, I suppose, is what we would be paying you for. What about the mutual fund where every stock I buy on the podcast, you get a piece of that? Can you get? Can you buy into the Hold My Bread portfolio? Would that be a good long-term goal for us? Um, you have to register it with the SEC. And there's probably a bunch of costs involved with that, I'm assuming. So you may not want to do that just yet. But I, I mean, I, I think you can. I don't know. I don't, I'm not even going to guess. I don't know. I think that's the long term ambition for the show. We thought about splitting up the show and selling penny stocks of it. But I think having the mutual well, fund. I mean, you know, the Vanguard guy talked a lot about hedge funds and the whole two and 20. I mean, that's the. That's the Wild West where I think they're a little more regulated now, but generally they're, they're unregulated. You can, you kind of just tell people, this is the hold my bread hedge fund, give me your money and you can do that. Yeah. And like a hedge, what, what, what is a hedge? Why can you make so much more money on hedge funds? The, I suppose the theory is that the people managing them are much more skilled, but really they're just more skilled in marketing themselves. I'm sure a lot of them. I think, you know, I've, I work with some very uh, similar function folks whose job is more focused on hedge funds and finding good hedge funds and not buying bad ones. And, you know, I've heard kind of offhand off the record, they say, you know, maybe 10% of the hedge funds out there are are actually very good. Um, A lot of them are people in pursuit of the money and pay payoffs, but I mean, I think that's a good rule of thumb. 10% of everything yep. is good. Like I'm a comedy, I'm a comedian, like 10% of comedians are good. Yeah. And they're, you know, they, they can't, and hedge funds, I think there's a lot of misinformation. They're kind of, I think because a lot of the, the managers who maybe get in the news and might get those 90% returns some years are very outspoken and loud and high risk takers, but a, a majority of hedge funds, like the name hedge itself, not unlike in gambling is, is, uh, implies kind of risk mitigation. So a majority of hedge funds out there are actually designed to be very low volatility and consistent returns and appeal to wealthy people who want to make, want to grow their money without a lot of risk of losing it. Yeah. But because of the nature of how it's regulated, you're, there's just some high yield people who really just push themselves and yeah, there's just, because it's so unregulated, it opens the door for fraud and the Bernie Madoffs of the world to come in and say they're, you know, that you don't have the SEC breathing down your neck the way registered investment companies 
like mutual funds do. And why aren't hedge funds registered with the SEC? Like, is, did they do? What's the justification for no loophole there? I don't know. We we gotta arrest some hedge fund managers. Citizens arrest for white collar crime. I th- yeah, I think some of them have been. The ones who are outright fraudulent, I think, have have been arrested. Okay, that that's good to know. So but it's it's hard to f- to find them and prove it probably before they run off to the Bahamas. I don't know. So in a larger investment firm where you go by the book, how many essential positions are there? I'd say in a typical investment team, essential. There's maybe some gray area, but you typically would have portfolio managers who one kind of doing what you're doing on on your hold my bread portfolio yeah I'm, have, I'm, I'm the portfolio manager here yeah, you'd have research analysts is a very common position so mm-hmm. the you know the bottom-up fundamental equity know everything in and out about tesla and have a view on it and and tell that to the portfolio managers who decide whether they want to buy it and how much so that's two traders i suppose in any any analyst sorry this is a stupid question any analyst is a research analyst right like Mm, I, I mean, every firm might have different terms, but not necessarily. Okay. I mean, there can be business analysts, financial analysts. Is, like, a lot of people ask me, like, oh, you're a financial analyst. And that's that's typically more people in, like, a corporate finance, you know, managing the finances of the company they work for. Oh, okay. But a research analyst is looking at other companies and getting developing a take? Yeah. Or, yeah, equity analyst, research analyst. I mean just analyst sell side buy side or a lot of you know and it doesn't have to just be equities it could be debt it could be government debt it could be corporates there's a lot of different asset classes out there okay so who else do you need on the team to make an investment firm you may or may not but trading is common traders um even even today you need like a someone on the floor yeah depending on how big you are a lot of a lot of more concentrated you know, simple processes the portfolio managers might do the trading themselves. And do traders have like a certain personality type in, in the industry? I suppose. I don't work with them or deal with them, but you know, that's probably the the stereotype two thirds of people, normal people out there, normal people, non non finance people would associate with finance is probably the trader. Yeah, and you're on type. the you're on the floor, like how do you actually like place a trade? Do they write it down? Do they have to get to a window like a sports book? How does that work? <laughs> I think it's mostly automated. I think there's, you know, people like Bloomberg chat is a big tool. I don't even, I mean, I don't have Bloomberg for what I do, but. Um, Good. We yeah. don't support him. Yeah. Unless um, we're vandalizing his offices. <laughs> I think a lot of it's, you know, this is, this is not my expertise, but a lot of it's automated. A lot of it could be, you know, depending on if it's, um, equities or, or bonds, a lot of bonds are not as liquid and deeply traded on exchanges. So those might be negotiated over the counter. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. And like, how many vice presidents are there? Cause I, I was, I was, I went to your LinkedIn and I went, I, I poked around your company. It seems like there's like a million vice presidents. Yeah. It's not like us where there's only one vice president, no. Dick Cheney in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. I noticed you don't have a LinkedIn picture. Are you opposed to the concept of LinkedIn pictures or have you not had the right opportunity? I didn't see, I didn't see it on there. Oh, you have the app. I was on the website. There it is. 
Okay, that's good. You look very sharp. Thank you. And you were a you, different. You had a nice, uh, you had a couple nice pieces you sent me that were even about you and or you were interviewed in. Dang, I really got cloned. I thought I, I thought was, that was our gotcha moment. No. Yeah, I thought I was gonna get your ass here. Um, what 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 city wire? They are um, they're a financial publication. Yeah, but who is focused on the industry of, of what I do a little bit and and financial advisors and um, you know financial news in general, but but very focused on kind of the fund industry. And and they're good. Like when I'm when I find it trying to find a chart, there's no good way for me to find a stock chart whatsoever. Yeah, I you know. Yahoo Finance used to be pretty good for that. And then, but even they're just like inundated with ads these days. Yeah. yeah. Robinhood's okay for an app, but... They're all right. Um, I, I love what Medium's doing. They have like a whole new financial... I've like, not seen that. They, it's just really... They're doing long-form reporting, but they're really great pieces. They had this six-part series on the IPO that was wonderful. And they have some really great writers going. They just launched their Twitter account has less than three thousand followers, so check them out and use Twitter switches. You know, I don't know. I want to put all my money in Twitter right now. That stock's been. It's had a long history, rough history at times. I know. I just think the long-term goal, and I think this year specifically, will feed into it. I think they're doing a good job with their targeted ads, like. It just feels very specific to me. And what else did, what else did I say about Twitter? Oh, I, a, a couple analysts, I felt gave it a price target of $45. What's it now? It's at uh, 33 today. Okay. That's $12 a share. Yeah. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I have seven shares right now. You know, I think, well, I don't know these days with where markets are, but in the past it was like every stock's price target was nice through the roof so in terms of if you're gonna grade grade this investing mistake for me one to ten i got money from my mom to invest in a penny stock one to ten you think that's good thinking or bad thinking she gave you money specifically to do that well she heard me talk about it on the show and she's like well that sounds fun i want in on it and then it like kind of tanked the next day it was that lithium stock that i forgot about um Generally, I think investing in risky investments without a good reason is... The reason know. is they're next to Tesla and Tesla needs uh, lithium. Right. Remember the one with the, the property next? Yeah, yeah. or yeah. they have a couple Twitter, like fake Twitter accounts that I'm really falling for. So my, my general approach on buying stocks, I've decided on a long time ago, is that there's no way I'm going to know anything that the market abroad does not. So for me to think I'm going to outsmart the millions of people out there operating price discovery and deciding what a stock is worth is just a losing game. So I'm just not going to do it. Okay. That's a very sound strategy, but but it sounds correct. And like this guy made money playing blackjack one. So it's all right. Who makes these price targets? Sell side analyst, I Uh, suppose would probably be the ones you're, you're referencing. Okay. So like wall street analysts, um, I think you. I think there's been some talk on sell side versus buy side, but you know, sell side is the is Wall Street essentially, the investment banks, the um, the one who are selling ideas and advice to the investment community. 
Um, you know, whereas buy side, you're not likely to see an investment firm who is being paid by clients to invest on their behalf, telling everyone what they think stocks are going to be worth. They want to keep that information in house generally. Okay. So it's just like a large bloated industry of analysis. There is a lot of analysis. Out so there, like yeah. what, what percentage of jobs like in your industry are essential? How, how, how many, what percentage could you eliminate and it, things would be fine? Um, a, a reasonable percent, I would say. I think that's where these wealth fronts and those folks have, have come in and see an opportunity is there's going to be, and, and we've seen it, there's been some very large acquisitions on the active management side and, you know, consolidation in general in the industry. It's, I think consumers are finally becoming smarter than ever in the financial area and don't need to pay so much in fees and much more than they're getting back. And, and that's going to mean just mass consolidation and a lot of firms and a lot of jobs going away. Yeah. And now people are like such fans of certain brands. Like, I don't know if that was just apparent in history before then, or if I'm just like an aware adult, but I feel like people who invest money in Apple or Tesla, cause they like it, that could be a, like a gateway drug to get more interested in the market. Do you think that could be the case? I think it could be. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry about millennials who are probably the generation who have that brand attachment, um, being the most educated generation in history. And, and some of these things, you know, they have more information at their fingertips than anyone in history. And they are reading and they're aware and they're seeing all this, all these like kind of articles and journalism about passive vehicles and low fees and low cost investing. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to follow that. Yeah. Cause like Robin hood, like it, it advertises on podcasts. Like there's like kind of like, there's a financial incentive for these companies to create financial literacy for their customers. And that's kind of where this yeah. podcast comes from. Yeah. I think any of these low cost technology enabled firms are, are looking to capitalize on the old school, high cost bloated firms that can't compete. Yeah. Cause you like, when you see wall street portrayed in a movie, it's like traders are getting these crazy bonuses. Mm -hmm. They're living this lavish lifestyle, but really like tech can just overhaul it and make it a slim, a slim, efficient machine. That's the idea. Yeah. Okay. How long till that takes over where that will be the primary way to invest? Yeah. I, I think it's going to reach some balance. I don't know how long, you know, a decade, who knows? Um, it's going that way. I think, you know, people will always be inherently call it greedy or call it naive or call it in seek of something better. So I think there will always be a market for active management and higher fee for those who can prove their worth, worth it. But I think the shift that's been going on for 10 years is certainly going to continue. And, you know, the, the passive takeover is going to continue. Yeah. And like a stock like SpaceX, which is like blown up over the past, it, it went public in November for like $9 a share before today's crash. It was going like 38, $39 a share. 
Meanwhile, over the past two years, it's lost three hundred yeah. million dollars. Can't explain. I mean, Netflix was like a lot of a lot of new, no pun, high flying tech stocks do are are like that. Now you, I mean, Amazon didn't make money for. I don't know until like the last few years, I think. Yeah, Amaz- Amazon, Netflix, and now it's like losing money is just like not considered a red flag anymore. Yeah, I think, you know, losing money in the name of growth to me suggests at some point you can kind of turn off the spigot and say, okay, we're going to control costs now and we have all this size and volume and scale and revenue and we're just going to become insanely profitable, which I, I think is kind of what happened with Amazon. So there is a 20 year model that it works and it crosses it right. over. Yeah. So, but like Tesla or did, I don't what, know about SpaceX. I mean, I, no one's going to buy trips to the moon on what, online I theoretically, but yeah, they might, they, but they supposedly only have like 3,500 like people who are interested and I thought like, oh, this sounds good. People would do that, but wouldn't the company go kaput after one accident? And then because of that, I just went around looking up helicopter stocks all afternoon. <laughs> and helicopter stocks were unaffected by recent helicopter-related tragedies. Uh, just a tangent. Yesterday, I had my favorite roast joke I've ever heard about me. Oh. Someone said Joel is the worst thing to happen to basketball since a helicopter ride on a foggy morning. So I thought that was great. But I, um, I'm looking at these t- helicopter stocks. So I, let me sell you this on this one, Leonardo helicopters. I think I'm gonna give them like fifty dollars. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? That's ten shares, Rex, and it, they have twelve billion dollars annual revenue, and they have an eye based on defense. Competitors in this space trade between sixty and eighty dollars a share. If we're putting around their site, you know, I think they are on par with them. You think I should do it? Well, so one thing I would say, price per share really means nothing. Price per share means nothing. That's what Richie, the producer who yeah. doesn't like us, is saying. I just thought it was bullying me. No, it really means nothing. I mean, there's there's maybe some. <laughs> There's maybe some slight psychological elements. Um, you know, you have companies like Apple, I don't know, five years ago, maybe they did, I think a seven to one split. So they went from, let's just say 700 to $100 a share. Um, there's some psychological elements to that, I suppose, that small retail investors, not so unlike yourself, maybe won't buy something at $700 a share because either they don't want to invest that much or they think, well, I, you know, only two shares. What, what's the point? But I think even Robinhood now you can do fractional shares so that even, can. even that's kind of going away, but, but really a stock that's, you know, $5 versus $500. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it matters what they're earning per share. So you might, if you've heard price to earnings, <laughs> he's just glaring at me right now. Is this an I told you so? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My whole relationship with this dude is an I told you so. <laughs> Everything. Why don't they make it easier for me to find out how many shares are in a company? They do the market cap. I know I can do some division yeah, in there. I mean, it's so many millions. It's like, what's, it doesn't, it's kind of fake numbers anyway. Yeah, but so you, the, the, I don't, something go, uh, Oh, let's go to your Robin Hood maybe and go to a, um, all right, let's go stock. to Robin Hood. 
Um, I don't want you to see the Ford stocks I have. That's embarrassing. Let's go to Twitter. Yeah. So, well, There's my seven shares. They, they probably don't have earnings, so it's not going to be a good example. But Oh, they do. So here, the P-E ratio down here, 20.53. So that's, that's the price of a share per the earnings, the dollar earnings net income per share. So if you have someone trading at $200 the share price and they're earning $1 per share, so you as an owner of a share of stock are earning, let's say $1, versus one who's earning $100, which would you rather have for $200 a share? I mean, so that's where this PE ratio is kind of, it's like the, the, the most commonly referenced valuation. So when people talk about the S&P 500 being very richly valued, they're not talking about its price. They're the value of the S&P being whatever it is now, 3,500. They're talking about the, the price per earnings of the S&P is approaching 20 versus a long-term average of maybe 13, 14, 15. Okay. So I would not... So a I got I got to stop saying a, what a yeah, price per share a, a $5 is. Five dollar stock versus its competitors at sixty is is not important. Not important. Wrong thinking. I told you you could tell me I'm wrong. If you want to drop an I'm wrong, you can do that. No, it's okay. We we, we have finished our time. You don't you know why you don't want the episode to build to a crescendo. You've been very nice, and I and I thank you so much for coming on. It was very interesting. I learned a lot. But you can drop the I'm wrong if it's, you want. It's uh, it's a very common misconception that I hear many people make. Just like um, you know, someone might say, "Oh, I lost money in 2008. I should fire my whoever." Like, well. Everyone lost money and a lot of money in 2008. So, you know, there, there, there is a, there is an argument to be made that you could, a 30% gain one year could be worse than a 20% loss another year in terms of relative to what the market's doing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of just general misconceptions, I think, about investing and, and yeah, share price is one of them. Yeah, it's all it's all on context. I'm done with share price. I'm okay. putting that away. He's still look at this face I'm getting over here. I did. I, I told you a good episode was three Richie laughs, and I think we got our three Richie laughs. So we're gonna wrap it up. <laughs> Rex Thunder, thank you for coming on. You've thank been you blessed. Um, anything to plug anonymously? <laughs> no, I can't. Um, you know, support arts. I'll go for that. Support the arts. Support the arts. Um, yeah. Uh, got some fun stand updates coming up. And uh, we, hey, this is cool. I'll be going to the NFL draft. I'll be writing and producing some stuff out there for uh, some people. And keep an eye out on that. It'll be out uh, April 23rd. So, yeah, mark your calendars. That'll be fun. Otherwise, Matt is back next week. We may... Our Amarin has their earnings report on Thursday night. We're going to try and drop like a 10 minute episode Friday afternoon ish. If we can make that happen. So keep an eye out for that. Ears rather. This is a podcast. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great day. 